Welcome to Reawaken Podcast. I'm Alex Smith. And I'm John Brown. On this program, we like to discuss everyday topics to hot-button issues, as well as some fringe ideas, while maintaining a solid scriptural foundation and a sense of humor. And we really hope that you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. I know this is going to be a bit outside of what we usually do, but we figured with like the coronavirus, the economy tanking a little bit and whatnot, uh, it would be a good idea to just kind of discuss the subject of homesteading, which is a subject that I think everybody that's going to be talking today is fairly passionate about. Yeah. We have with us today uh, Mr. Arthur Cox, who happens to be both my father-in-law and pastor, um, and uh, somewhat of an expert, um, though he wouldn't call himself that, on homesteading and uh, just kind of uh, different aspects to that, you know, getting started with off-grid um, power and gardening, etc. Um, so... Uh, yeah, Art, you want to just say hi and uh, let us know a little bit about kind of what got you started into homesteading. Yeah, hey, well, first I just want to say, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. You know, really, it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, the whole, the whole homesteading thing has been, uh, it's, it's kind of come in waves, it seems like, you know. Uh, but, you know, for, for myself, uh, it all started for me back in 1990, actually. And it kind of has an interesting uh, uh, kind of a, a way it all played out. I was sitting in a factory and I was, I was working long hours and uh, oh, I was just realizing that, boy, th- this is a drag, but I felt trapped. You know, I, I had uh, at the time I had three kids and uh, fairly newly married, just a, a few years married. And, and I just really felt like, wow, I mean, I've got all this responsibility laying on me and, uh, you know, I've got a house payment. I've got a, uh, kids to take care of and so forth. I just really felt like, you know, this is, this was, uh, you know, a burden. I, I just, you know, you were expected to bear, you know, you got a family and, uh, for me, it wasn't a nine to five. It was a 12 to 12, uh, four days on, four days off. And uh, the four days off sounds good, but you're exhausted the first day off and you've got to get rested the first day you go back. So you really only get two days anyway. So when I, I was just, uh, I was working one evening, it's probably over a span of several evenings, but I remember one in particular, the job I had was a very fast paced job, but you had a lot of time to think. It was not one of those kind of a jobs where you had to use your brains. You just kind of had to use your hands and get the job done. And I, anyway, it, uh, I had lots of time to pray and lots of time to just seek the Lord. And I was just praying one night and just realizing, Lord, you know, is this really it for me? I mean, this really feels like I'm kind of at the end of the, at the end of my, uh, uh, rope here as far as, is this really what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? You know? And, uh, you know, I just acknowledge him. I have a burden that I, you know, I got to feed my family and I've got to take care of them all. And, and then it dawned on me, I had been reading the Sermon on the Mount and so forth. And 
it dawned on me that the Lord promises in there that he is our provider, that he is the one by which we will find our substance and so forth. And I realized for the first time, and I know that sounds kind of strange. I've been a believer now for about four, about three and a half, four years. But for the first time, the realization hit me that it really wasn't my responsibility as much as it was the Lord's promise that he was going to provide through me. And I didn't feel all alone all of a sudden. And I started to realize that, that maybe I didn't have to be stuck at this, this kind of a job for the rest of my life. Maybe, maybe my future could expand into something else. And so as, as you know, I began to pray more and more about the whole thing, a, a plan started to kind of form in my mind. And, in, and I, ble I believed it was from the Lord at the time. I still do. And so I, I put this plan together with the leading of the Lord. And so I took this big step one day. It was kind of scary. But I took this big step and I went home. And I told my wife, I said, Anna Lou, I really believe that the Lord wants us to sell our house here in town and buy a piece of property out in the country. And I had been looking a little bit out in the country and I'd found six acres. That's all it was, was just six acres. And I said, I believe we should move out into the, out into the country and that we should just start all over and homestead that property. Well, she wasn't real excited about that because that just sounds a little bit scary and I didn't have any big plans, you know, I didn't know how we were going to do it or nothing, but I really felt convicted to do this, and, and uh, she, so she agreed. She followed me along in it. Long story short, I'm going to move a little quicker. Uh, we sold our house in town, and we bought this piece of property out in the country, about five miles out of Macomb, Illinois, and uh, there was nothing on the property, so we had a tent, and for six weeks, uh, my wife and I and three little ones, our youngest one was about nine months old, eight months old, and uh, we lived in a tent for six weeks. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's, a, there's so many stories about that, I can't get into them, but uh, you can probably imagine some of them. We had a few rainstorms and things like that, and uh, <laughs> it was August, it was... Uh, a little bit warm from time to time. And, and uh, Annalie was thrilled, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so from nothing, we started cutting down some trees and getting a place cleared. And we dug uh, a whole bunch of post holes because I, I built the cabin on post because there was not a level spot on the property. And so uh, we, we, we uh, cemented all these posts and finally we framed up this cabin. And so we built this cabin. And uh, in six weeks, we got this cabin started and finished enough to get inside. And uh, it wasn't done by all means, but it was much better than in a tent. So we moved into the cabin while we were still working on it. And that was uh, about mid-September. About the 1st of October, it was done. Well, you, it was done in a primitive kind of a way. There was no bathroom. Well, there was a bathroom, but it was a non-functioning bathroom. It was a bathroom with hopes of someday it functioning as a real bathroom. 
So we had a little uh, porta potty in there, and we had a tub that was it had a drain that drained basically outside onto the ground, but there was no water in the cabin because there was no well. So we uh, we'd have to carry our water from the creek bed for washing and for laundry and so forth. And we would haul water in gallon jugs from the city of Macomb to drink. Well, that's how it got started. It was six and a quarter acres, but it was out in the country. It was a beautiful piece of property. And we started homesteading from there. And, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting because from since then, from that time, I didn't know it, but but really behind the scenes, there was a movement really happening. And it was not only a homesteading movement, it was an intentional community movement among believers. Now, if you go back into the 60s and 70s, uh, intentional communities were a fairly wide uh, thing within our nation, but it was more of the hippies. It was more of a kind of a the part of that hippie movement and so forth. And that, a lot of that died out because they really didn't have a lot of commitments and so forth. And when under the trial of many years, they kind of died out. But there was a revival of this in some sorts right around that exact same time that that I had uh, moved out and started this homestead. Now, my desire was to do an intentional community, but I could never find like-minded believers who really wanted to do that. But I didn't know, but there was a movement actually starting up uh, among uh, Christians uh, with regard to uh, intentional communities where, where many people live on the same piece of property, and it comes in many different uh, uh, applications, but Sometimes it's everybody sharing all of the money and they're all putting the proceeds in. Sometimes it's fairly individual where there's a lot of privacy and a lot of uh, individualism within it and everything in between. I didn't know that there was really a big movement starting at that time, but there was. And uh, all I knew is I felt that this is what the Lord had wanted me to do. So in short, that's how my homesteading uh, lifestyle, ours, my wife and I's and our kids got started. But, you know, uh, I will say this, I would never, ever change that time in my life for anything. I think it, it, uh, it showed our children a really, really sound way to build their lives. It instilled in them in uh, some uh, things kind of that maybe a lot of kids don't know, taking care of animals and working a garden, putting up food and all that kind of stuff. My, all my children are pretty, uh, they're pretty smart when it comes to those kinds of do-it-yourself type things. And uh, they're all gifted very, very wonderfully from the Lord. And so it was just a, it was a fine time. Yes, it came with a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, well, let's just say there was, sometimes it was a little bit rough. There was some, uh, there was some trials in it and so forth. But overall, uh, I think that, you know, in answering that, answering that call from the Lord, because I, I do believe it was that, turned out to be an, a, a tremendous blessing in our lives. And we're still seeing the fruit of that today. What do you think is, um, is kind of behind this movement towards homesteading, towards, you know, the land and that type of thing, farming, gardening? 
Yeah. Uh, At least for Christians. Yeah. Uh, see, as I, as I continue to do this and have been doing it ever since, uh, even up to today, my wife and I, I call our place a homestead of sorts. Um, I believe what, what's really behind it, and, and so, so much of this I, I think I can answer for myself with experience, is just, I, be, I believe that uh, when the Lord returns, he's going to set up a, a literal thousand-year reign, what we call the millennial kingdom. And from the scriptures, from the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah and some of the different, uh, some of the different prophets, I really believe that that's going to be an agrarian lifestyle. It's going to be an agricultural-based economy. It's going to be getting back to the very basics of, of growing food and homesteading, animal husbandry, all of these types of things. And I believe it's going to be on what we would say today, a very primitive level but not primitive at all. I believe we're going to step up. But uh, I believe that what's going on as we move closer into the last days and this kingdom is getting closer, I believe God is reviving in his people a desire to bring these things back, to get reacquainted with these things because that's going to be our lifestyle here coming very shortly. That's going to be what's going to be going on. Like I said, I believe it's going to be an agrarian lifestyle. It's going to be a very agricultural-based economy. And uh, I believe that this whole messianic movement, this whole Torah restoration movement, that part of that is getting back to a homesteading lifestyle on a homesteading basis, getting back to that. Uh, I, I hate to use the word self-reliance because it's, it's too misused today. But there is such a thing as a healthy self-reliance as long as we realize that like the book of uh, Deuteronomy says, it is the Lord who gives us power to get wealth. And it's the Lord who gives us the abilities and the, and the talents and the gifts that we have. But he expects us to use those, those gifts. So in that sense, self-reliant, but with the understanding that that self-reliance comes from God. Right. That's an amazing story for sure. Uh, just the kind of going back to the basics. I think it resonates with just about everybody, especially right now. Like I already said, COVID-19 has really highlighted the importance of the basics, how much we rely on the food chain, among other things. And I think it really is going to be pushing kind of a a move toward self-sufficiency again, because people are realizing how delicate our food chain is. I mean, we, we're blessed here in America, for sure, um, without a doubt. But it, even still, it's, it's going to highlight that. But I, I guess a good question would be, in this modern day, how should people go about achieving the self-sufficiency? Like, to phrase it differently, to phrase it differently here, like, I feel, I feel that homesteading is very, very scalable. It's something not necessarily, I, some people are definitely called to drop everything, go straight into homesteading, but I think there are ways to incorporate homesteading into our daily life. Do you have any suggestions for how people might do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, Alex, you hit it right on. I mean, it is. You know, a lot of times when, you know, people will get on YouTube and they'll watch some of these homesteading shows and so forth. And there's there's some neat stories on there. There really are. And uh, but, you know, a lot of times it, it makes you think, you know, what you need to do is you need to sell your place and go out and buy, you know, a bunch of acreage and so forth. And and for myself, uh, that is how it kind of started. Of course, for me, it was six acres, not 60 acres or 600 acres. Um but as far as where you're at, I, I believe a person can start right where they're at, no matter where they're at, uh, with the most simplest things. Um, and one thing is, is that I would really probably, uh, yeah, one thing I would caution is, is jumping in too big when you don't know how to do it. Because I have, I have known several people who, uh, in, in their homesteading zeal, They'll go out and they'll buy 50 chickens. Well, they've never raised one chicken in their entire life. So now they've got 50 chickens dependent completely upon them for their survival. And I've seen some pretty terrible situations take place because they really do not know what they're doing. And, uh, and as well as other animals too. So I guess I would caution against getting too deep, too quick into things that that uh, really kind of, it matters that you do it right. Now, if you plant, you know, some of your plants and you plant your tomatoes too close or, you know, you did something, that's fine. But when you're talking animals that are living, breathing, they have feelings, <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have a heart for that kind of stuff because I have some of my own horror stories of learning when I didn't know what I was doing at the expense of the animals. So on those levels, I would say, please spend that extra time of knowing what you're doing uh, uh, before you really take a step into those areas. And when even when you do, start small. But as far as like starting where you're at, hey, if you don't if you don't have much if you don't have much yard out and you think, start in pots, start in plants, start your plants in uh, in pots and things like that, and put them on your porch. You know, I mean, just get something started. And, you know, I played around a little bit with solar power too. Uh, just, I bought one panel and I bought one battery and a start, uh, uh, you know, a charge controller because I didn't know what I was doing, but it sure was fun learning. And it, it uh, you know, what's that? Yeah. And that's all I, that started off. That's all I was going to do. And I got uh, to tell you the truth, I got a real charge out of the whole issue, and uh, no pun no intended. Pun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now it's become a little bit more than that. So, uh, you know, the homesteading thing is an exciting adventure. It is a wonderful thing. But if you start too big and too quickly, it can become overwhelming. You can get discouraged. And you don't want to do that. You want it to be fun, especially if you have a family. If you have kids, it seems that families with small kids and young people are just getting started. You want it to be something that the whole family will want to embrace. And if you're forcing them into things, the kids aren't going to want to do it very much. And if you're taking too big a steps, you're overwhelming the whole deal. So, you know, you just want to, you want, you want to, you want to just uh, take it easy and just kind of let it come naturally. 
Yeah. And you'll know if you've got a love for it or if there are certain areas that you like better than others. Maybe animals aren't for everybody. Maybe just gardening more than anything else. Uh, but from them, you can learn a lot of things. And uh, But you want to keep you want to keep God focused as part of the whole reason of what you're doing. You want to get to simplicity ultimately because you want to have more of a God type atmosphere within your family makeup. And uh, it, it's a neat thing. It's a, it, it's to me, I, I'm just so blessed to hear that it's, it's, it's a growing movement. It's a desired movement. And there's usually a package of things that come with it. Homeschooling usually comes with this whole process, um, which is, to me, is an incredible thing. And so I hope it's something that, uh, that, that people keep answering the Lord to, because I do believe it's his calling to move us into this kind of a thing. And uh, so wherever you're at, whatever position you're in at this point, you can take some steps. To, to start down this road and to get a taste of it, get your feet wet, so to speak, and see if it's something for you. And if it's not, then, you know, you can just kind of hold on to those things that uh, are appealing to you. And, and if it is, boy, you can just start taking bigger steps. Maybe it will be time to put up that for sale sign and start looking for some property. That's good advice because our tendency is to swing the pendulum like all the way to the other end and, and, and just go 100% in. And even though you kind of did jump in with both feet, um, you know, that was kind of God's plan or God's direction. And so, you know, but there are so many ways that we can just kind of ease into it, you know, start a garden, maybe get one or two you know, chickens or something like that. So it's good. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned this being like an end times movement. Yeah. And I think that's really critical. But really, it begins back in Genesis, right? It does. It and, does. And so, and there's there's kind of a, you might call it a redemptive aspect to that that you've talked about. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, you know, work, work is not part of the curse. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, uh, a curse came. Sin came into our world. But work is not part of that curse. Work existed before the fall took place. God put Adam in the garden and he told him to tend and keep the garden. Now that word is to keep there is to protect. It's to look over it and it's to manage it and so forth. So basically Adam was given a job as a gardener the very first thing. And, and it wasn't a cursed atmosphere at that point. Uh, sin wasn't even in the world. So a lot of times people think that work is part of the curse. He said, you, you know, by the sweat of your brow, you will, you know, you will bring forth bread and so forth. No. Yeah. It, it's true that after sin came in the world, the job got much harder. We have to labor in order to bring those things forth. But work in of itself existed before the fall. I, I kind of put it like this. Those jobs that you absolutely hate, those are because of the fall. Uh, the jobs that you love, those are like the jobs before the fall. Now, I'm not saying that, 
the job you've got is because of the fall, because you hate it. I'm just saying that I look at it like that. Uh, a job that you love to do, you don't really look at it as a job. You don't really look at it as something that you, you, uh, you don't look forward to going into work. You look forward to going into work. I think that Adam looked forward to going into the garden. Now, after the fall, he may have not quite looked as forward to uh, raising his food as he did before, but the, but but it but it's all there. It's linked there, and I believe that part of the fall, uh, part of the redemptive part of the fall. Obviously, I'm not talking about having sins taken away. That's through the blood of Jesus Christ, but there is a redemption in it, in the sense that you are following. Uh, the, the directions that the Lord gave. The Lord said that, you know, he drove them out of the garden and he gave them the job to till the ground till they returned back to the ground. And so I believe that even after the fall, that's really the job that the Lord would intend us to do. I'm not saying it's wrong to work in a factory. I'm not saying any of that thing. I'm just saying there, there is something about working with the land by which you were created from that has a wholesomeness to it. It has a, it has a spiritual atmosphere to it and a connection with God that I don't think any other job can have. And, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, when you work with the dirt from which you were created, there's a connection, a spiritual connection there that that is very powerful. And, uh, you know, so I believe that there is a redemptiveness in it that when we're obedient to do what he called us to do, then there is a redemptive aspect to that. Again, it doesn't take away our sins, but there's a redemptive to, to surrendering and to submitting to what the Lord put forth for us because of our initial actions of disobedience. And so, yeah, I think there's some powerful spiritual things there. Right. Yeah. I honestly, having grown up doing some gardening and whatnot, it really does. It connects you to God in a way, honestly, because when you get in there, you when you're actually growing stuff, when you're actually butchering your own meat, I mean, I've never actually done that myself, but I've w witnessed it. There is something spiritual there because it makes you realize how much you rely on God. But, yeah, um, so I, I guess another good question here would be, what plants and animals would you suggest people start off with are there any particular ones like for for example like i remember growing up one of the first gardens i recollect maybe the first garden we ever had we like half the garden was tomatoes which in hindsight we really didn't need that many tomatoes <laughs> so i guess i would Personally, before you before you even uh, start talking, I would just encourage people, think about what you're actually going to eat and think to yourself, do I actually need this many tomatoes? I love tomatoes, but do I love tomatoes 20 right, right. plants worth? If you hate eggplant, yeah. you know, probably don't plant eggplant. <laughs> yeah, and I hate eggplant. Yeah, I do. We're eggplant haters as well, but 
No, uh, so are, is there any particular plants and plants and animals you suggest people start off with, or? Yeah, I, uh, you know, the basic things, and uh, uh, yes, tomatoes is one of those basic things. You know, it's kind of funny when you when you first put out plant. You know, they're usually really small. You know, and you a lot of times uh, what'll happen in these garden situations is you'll put out your little tomato plant that's six inches tall and about three inches in diameter. And though you're supposed to have them about three feet apart from each other because they're going to get big, uh, they look like they're so small that you should have more of them. So I think it's one of those things that's real easy to do is you, you, you get too many of them in there and then you realize later after they're full grown and they're producing that, Oh my goodness, you know, five tomato plants would have been just enough for us instead of 25, you know, it, those kinds of things are easy to do. And, but you know what, a couple of years of experience will kind of fix all of that kind of stuff because you, you kind of figure all that stuff up. And, you know, I always say this, if you plant, you know, if you plant 20 plant uh, tomato plants and you really only needed five, uh, you know, a lot of times people think, oh my, that's going, that look, 15 tomato plants worth of fruits gone to waste. No, it has not gone to waste. It would not have existed if you hadn't grown it. So it doesn't go to waste. It might become compost, but it's not going to go to waste. Give them away. Give them to some friends. Show some friends over to your garden. That way you can kind of, uh, you know, you can uh, show off your gardening skills thus far and so forth. And they'll be more, uh, they'll be more impressed with you when you send them home with a basket of tomatoes. So <laughs> there's never anything wrong with planting more than what you need. But there is a, a, a situation with that if you have a very limited space. One thing you don't want to do is get overwhelmed with your garden. Because if you've got 20 plants to take care of instead of five, you've got 20 plants to keep weeded instead of five. But uh, I, I never think that there's a big problem with planting too much of something. You'll, you'll figure all of that stuff out. But the basics, tomatoes, peppers, I like potatoes. Some people don't like potatoes, but for me, potatoes is one of our, it's one of our basic uh, root crops that we grow. It's, uh, it's a very, very important food for me as far as long-term sustainability. It's a, it's a good keeper. It's a, it's a very basic food that, that is very filling and so forth. Sweet. Uh, my wife is looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I would add sweet potatoes in there too. They also keep really well. So, you know, the one thing is with homesteading, Alex, on any serious level, and uh, John, is that you're going to want some foods that are going to store pretty well. If you're not going to can any tomatoes, there's not a lot of ways to store them. I guess you can dry them, and we do we do dry them. But uh, some things don't preserve very well. Any of your lettuces, anything like that, yeah, you're not going to keep them for anything long term. So that's one thing to keep in mind in your basic starter things. Uh, uh, your root crops, carrots, and so forth like that, those are usually pretty good long-term keepers uh, and so forth. Um, but as far as basic things, um, and Lou, what would you add in there? Uh, tomatoes, peppers, uh, Cucumber. cucumbers. Um, I mean, I'm a fan of beans. 
Yeah, beans are a good one. Corn takes up a lot of space. Sweet corn takes up a lot of space. I've learned that. Melons take up a lot of space and you can't really keep them either. It's nice to have them. They're a wonderful treat, but they're not a really, if, if I had a certain amount of space to grow something that was going to actually have to sustain me through a, through a year, I wouldn't grow a lot of things. I wouldn't grow melons. I wouldn't grow corn, sweet corn. They, they take too much space. They take too much from the ground. Some of those crops do. Uh, I would stay with the basic things. Potatoes and uh, sweet potatoes are really good. You know, things, things like that. So, you know, one thing I did want to comment back when we were back in the garden is, you know, it's really incredible to me. We hear a lot about this concept of green, friendly, sustainable living and, uh, that kind of stuff's kind of the big buzzwords today, you know. Uh, really, all of that started in the garden because God didn't place Adam in a, in a factory. He placed him in a garden. And so I, I kind of like to look at it on those terms of, of doing things God's way. And again, I want to reiterate, uh, it's, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about working in a factory or, you know, working outside the agricultural life, lifestyle. But I do believe that, you know, in our nation, for example, a uh, little over 100 years ago, about 90% of the people in our nation were involved on some level with agriculture. They either grew a garden, a, sustain, a substantial garden, or they were farmers. Today, 2% of our population are involved with some form of agriculture. Now, I think that's more on a career base, but really your average person, there's hardly anybody who's growing gardens. Now, it's, that, that's changing. Uh, there's more and more are starting to garden, but we went through a real time in our nation where gardening kind of lost, lost its uh, importance. In fact, there are so few people who know how to can, know how to process things and so forth, that we've really become, you had mentioned a little bit earlier, Alex, how dependent we are on grocery stores and so forth like that, that if there was ever a real uh, disruption in that supply chain, most people would be in very, very serious trouble very quickly. And uh, a garden is not one of those things you can start up and in one week you'll have plenty of food. No, it's, it, it is an investment, but there are so few people who don't, who really even know how to do it, that you also have that hurdle of, of not knowing what you're doing. And, uh, and so it, it has brought us to a place where I think it's been very detrimental to our nation, not only in the sense that we're not, uh, we're, we're just not self-reliant as far as our food production on any level, but I believe there's a spiritual connection. And that because of the lack of, of, of being in the ground with our hands and learning how to do all that stuff from infancy, we've missed out on a lot of spiritual things. And I believe those, those kinds of things help keep us humble. They help keep us realizing that God is the one in charge of everything. And, uh, and there's just so many spiritual parallels and lessons we can learn from a garden. 
uh, the gospel can be preached to you right out there in the garden if you'll just listen to what those plants are trying to say. Uh, now, you know, anybody who's ever grown a garden realizes that you got to pull weeds. Well, weeds are a wonderful picture of sin in our lives. Hmm. We've got to keep sin out of our garden, so to speak. And uh, th those seeds, they're, they're there and they're just waiting to sprout and to grow, and we've got to keep pulling them. And there's so many spiritual applications to that. You know, I'm one of those guys who goes into a garden, and man, I just start ripping weeds out, you know. But if those weeds have wrapped themselves around the good plants, you can't just go in there and rip stuff out. You've got to be more delicate. You, uh, you've got to be careful. You've got to actually take your time and pull those weeds and that's so true in people's lives. You can have people who they have sin in their lives or we have sin in our lives. And there's a time when you go in and you just rip that out of there. You got to get that sin out of your life. Then there's other times when we need to be more delicate because it's, it's not, yes, it, there's some sin, but it's, it's so rooted up in stuff that's so important that you don't want to pull out the good with the bad. You know, uh, Jesus tells a parable about that, about, you know, even in his analogy was letting the two grow together until harvest. Mm -hmm. Now, in a garden, you want to keep your weeds out as much as you can. But there's so many spiritual parallels to that and and, and so many other areas that uh, you could get on. I don't want to get into all of that. But So many of, of uh, Jesus's parables are about agriculture. They are. It's like that was the thing like everybody did that yep. you know in his day and and there are so many lessons to be learned like you're saying i guess my main thought here would be like the way i've always thought of gardening and homesteading the difference between them is gardening is you know resource gathering whereas homesteading is kind of making it work like you can't have the growth of plants and stuff without a way to preserve them and kind of tying back into the religious aspect of gardening like you were just mentioning one could even kind of look at that as you can't have one without the other you can't have these fruit growing without a way to preserve them in our lives hmm. yeah so i guess the on a more uh, practical level here, which I, I hate to, uh, I hate to go back to the practical level because the religious aspect is something that needs to be explored even more. But we are on a timer and whatnot, so at some point maybe we could even do an entire episode about the spiritual component to gardening and homesteading. But no, I'm just I'm kind of curious, like so. As far as food preservation goes, of course you have canning, but what are some other ways that people might preserve their foods? Yeah, uh, canning is, seems to be the kind of the age-old uh, thing that uh, seems to be most familiar to people. But there are there are some things that I prefer other ways of preserving other than canning. Uh, one of those is drying drying things out, uh, get, getting the moisture content down to a certain thing, and then 
you still need to keep them dry and you need to keep them preserved and so forth. So there is some packaging you need to do, whether it's in, we put things in jars sometimes or we seal them in bags and so forth. But drying is a very, uh, very good way to do it. Now you have that initial uh, energy that you've got to spend to get your dryer to dry them, or I suppose you can use some natural methods of laying them out in the sun on racks and so forth. I've heard people dry that way and so forth. Uh, drying's a good uh, freezing. If you've got freezer space, uh, a lot of things I prefer frozen than I do dried or canned. And one of those things is uh, some of the fruits that, uh, that we have grown or that we've got in the past that we've wanted to preserve. Peaches, I love peaches when they're frozen and they're just a little bit thawed and you eat them. You can't get that kind of texture when you've canned them because they just kind of get mushy <laughs> because you've basically cooked them to can them. Or when you've dried them out, well, they're never going to rehydrate and look like they did when you, when you freshly cut them and dried them. So dried peaches and dried apples are great. They're a good snack, uh, but it, there's nothing like uh, the fruit when you first, you know, when you when you first process it. Freezing for me with peaches and things like that, uh, strawberries. Uh, to me, that's the best way to preserve those things. But you've got to have a freezer and you've got to have a way to make that freezer work, whether it's propane or whether it's electricity or whether it's, uh, you know, some form like that. They even have uh, ones that can run on solar power, but you still have to have that energy source, that ongoing energy source. When canning, you have to have the energy to can it, but then it's a done process. Drying, the same thing. You've got to have that energy, but it's a done process with Freezing, no, you've got to keep the freezer running all the time until you're going to use that food. Uh, there's fermenting. Certain things you can ferment is a good way of preserving and so forth. So, yeah, there are options for uh, long-term food storage, and uh, we've used all of those. And for different applications, probably for certain things, every one of those I mentioned is going to be the best way to preserve that. Freezing for some, drying for others, uh, you know, canning for some things and fermenting for other things. So uh, it's like everything has its uh, a better way to do it. And obviously people's own uh, likings to that, to that. So it's uh, there, there, there are certainly some uh, a variety of different uh, options out there for people to have. So, yeah, I mean, there's a. Uh... So there's so many different things that you can go into and and so many different aspects to homesteading, like health, for example, which I haven't even mentioned, but there's a huge health crisis in our nation. And homesteading, I feel like, is is a big answer to yeah. that. Um, but uh, maybe we can talk about that on another episode. But um, what are, I guess, last question in, in regards to this topic, um, what are your future plans? Well, uh, my future plans is we're going to continue as long as the Lord gives us the strength to do it. We're going to continue to grow, uh, uh, no pun intended, we're going to continue to grow uh, this whole homesteading uh, adventure that, we're, uh, that, we're, that we've started on here. 
Now, in the last uh, year and a half or so, we've actually started a little ministry that we're hoping to do. Uh, can I share just a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll link to, we have a website for this. Uh, well, It's actually uh, John and his wife, my daughter and my wife, we've, we've kind of got a little uh, ministry that we're trying to get started, trying to get up and going here. It's called Simpler Ways. It's a, it's an educational homestead. And at this point, uh, We've got a website started and so forth, and we're trying to put some information on there that can help people out in their, you know, in their homesteading adventure. But we hope to be a physical uh, place at some time in the future that that people would be able to come and we would be able to do some classes and so forth. And uh, we hope to be able to teach a variety of different homesteading skills and you know, things through either through a teaching or whether through it's a hands-on. Some of those things are using solar energy, uh, organic uh, gardening techniques, fermenting foods, uh, soap making, bread making, tiny house construction, solar cooking, food preservation, natural animal care, beekeeping, even butchering. So these are some of the things that we hope to be able to, to uh, give some uh, instructions for. Again, uh, we hope to put some of this stuff more and more up on our website so people can go there. But we also hope to do a physical place that people can come to and actually get their hands in the dirt and get their hands involved in some of these things and learn how to do some of these things. We also hope to, uh, you know, to do Bible studies and, and take the spiritual aspects of homesteading and gardening and bring it to a, a, a real life application. And uh, so anyway, those are some of the things that we're hoping to do uh, in the near, near future. And we, we've started it. We're just kind of in a process right now where we're waiting to, uh, to buy some property so that we have a physical address to be able to build this homestead. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to in the future, Lord willing, that we'll be able to do with this whole deal. That's awesome. Yeah, guys, uh, we'll definitely link over to the website. So go on and check them out. The link should be in the post for this episode. If it's not, then check around. We will have posted it like right afterwards or something like that. But do you have any final thoughts for um, anyone? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, final thoughts would be is, you know, spend some time on YouTube looking at some of these different places of different people that have took the step out. They've, they, they've actually taken some, you know, steps in homeschool or in homesteading and so forth. And just kind of get an overall picture of what it's going to look like and then maybe start seeking the Lord about how he wants you and your family to kind of move into this venture and stay connected to him. I would say that if anyone's going to be venturing down this road, let it be the Lord that's leading and guiding you in it. Do not move in this just because it sounds like a fun thing to do, because there's a lot of work. There really is. But when you're doing it because you have conviction that you believe the Lord is calling you to do it, 
or you just believe that if you do this, the Lord's going to show you some really important things. You're right. He will. And I do believe that, you know, agriculture in some form should be a part of every person's life, even if it's just a couple of plants out in your yard. Get involved in it because there's something really, there's a real blessing to be had in it. So that's just what I'd like to leave you with. So. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. But uh, yeah, moving on to our news section, uh, staying kind of on topic here. There is a meat shortage that has hit Wendy's this week. So Wendy's, the restaurant chain, is having a meat shortage just due to the plants being shut down because of the coronavirus. So people are having to be turned away from Wendy's at this point. They've already taken, like, Wendy's has taken measures to cut down on how much meat output they're doing um, in response to this. So, for example, you can only order single burgers at this point, I believe. But, again, this is something else kind of highlighting what we've been talking about here, the importance of just trying to be more self uh, sustaining because stuff like this is going to happen it's only a matter of when it happens and yeah you can do without meat and stuff for a while although if you can raise chickens or something that may not be a bad idea but you can at the very least grow other proteins like beans and other proteins that i can't think of at the moment um but I think beans is basically the main garden protein. But uh, yeah, you have any thoughts on that? Well, uh, as far as meat goes, chicken is probably the simplest thing to grow. It is the most efficient thing to grow. I know that. Uh, a chicken eats two pounds of food to produce one, pounds of, one pound of meat. I'll give you an example. A, a cow... A beef cow eats six pounds of meat, uh, six pounds of food to produce one pound of meat. So a chicken is far, far more efficient than beef is. It's also a lot smaller. It's also a lot cheaper and it's a lot easier to take care of. So chicken can be something that's very easy for a little homestead thing to get started with. Uh, again, just start small so that you're not overwhelmed with all of the animals. But chicken is a, is an absolutely wonderful uh, livestock to have on a small farm or a small homestead. Yeah, and you'll know, I think, uh, we don't personally have chickens, but uh, we know those who do. And, you know, you'll know if you get the bug, you know, you're going to want more chickens. And if it's too much for you, obviously, you're going to kind of back off from yeah. that. But yeah. For sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, we used to raise some chickens like growing up in the city. So the one thing I would say about that is they are very easy to keep in the city in a humane way, but there are a lot of cities that do not allow it. So before you go get chickens, check out if you live in the, in a city, check out your city's regulations on that. A lot of places all they have is no roosters. So that's nice. You can at least keep female chickens, which are nice anyway, because they lay eggs while they're growing up to be butchered. So 
um, although actually usually butchering age is about when they start laying eggs but yeah so you can but you can get either way that way yeah and you know if you like you said if you just get the hens if you live in a in the city limits and you just get the hens you're not going to have the rooster crowing at three or four in the morning and getting the neighbors to complain against you you know hens might do a little clucking but uh, they're not going to have that rooster crowing and hens will lay eggs without a rooster. They won't be fertile eggs, but they will lay eggs. That's a good point. Yeah, any other thoughts from either of you? How about these uh, murder hornets that are suddenly... <laughs> I hadn't even heard of this last week, and then all of a sudden it seems like it's a hot hot topic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit frightening. I'm not a fan of them, that's for sure. Red, red velvet ants are a stretch for me. So yeah, they're some type of Asian hornet that's quite vicious. They can even be deadly to humans if you get enough stings. Mm. And bad news there. Yes, I I do not plan to be stung by them. I mean, uh, I'm not really sure how to stop them, but there's gotta be a way. I think these measures should be taken because, like I said. The red velvet ants slash red velvet wasps are uh, frightening enough for me because those things are those things are crazy. We had them last garden. We had had red velvet, the red velvet ants and wasps just crawling through it, which is frightening because they walk just about as fast as you walk. So they'll they'll they can. Really? look like they're chasing you and they look like an absolute nightmare and you can't kill them so i'm not looking forward to these murder hornets because uh yeah i I think we have our hands full with the with those already well the truth is is that we've got a lot of challenges in the future we've got a lot of challenges now the more self-efficient a person can be the better it's going to be for them no matter what. And if nothing else, you learn some skills that are a lot of fun. They're, uh, they're just uh, really, really good. And so anyway, just want to encourage anybody to get, get, uh, get involved in some level of homesteading, get involved in some level of gardening and so forth, because you're going to be blessed by it one way or the other. You're going to be blessed by it. So, Amen. Definitely. And uh, we appreciate having you on the show. And uh, uh, Anne Lou as well, your input has been valuable. And uh, hopefully we can get back into this topic another time or have you on uh, to talk about something more, a little bit more directly uh, biblical or um, uh, spiritual in that regard. But uh, it's been a good episode. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, definitely. And we appreciate you guys uh, all listening to this episode. And yeah, just share the episode if you enjoyed it. And we hope to see you next time.